Today on the podcast, we are continuing our series, We Believe, this time on the topic of humanity. Pastor Phil, so great to be back with you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Keith. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. Lots to talk about. Absolutely. And it's been a great weekend. Lots of exciting things going on. Uh, Unless you are an Arkansas Razorbacks fan, a Duke Blue Devil, or UNC Tar Heel fan, unfortunately. Well, Tampa didn't win either, but I I can say at least this. The Gators did not lose. That's right, and neither did my Titans. Um, Yeah, the Gators had a bye. And so did the Titans. So there's always a silver lining, I guess. Uh, So yeah, excited to, uh, to get into the topic today, and that is humanity. And so let's start in the beginning. Um, in, uh, in Genesis 1, right? So we, we've heard a lot about Adam and Eve, and you talked a lot about them in the message. Um, obviously, the first two human beings that God created, um, and then all human beings descended physically from Adam and Eve. Now, you said that that was an essential doctrine, um, but at the same time, you said that the question about uh, the age of the earth uh, is non-essential. How do those two things work together? How is one essential and the other one non-essential? Well, first of all, Keith, great questions, because I do believe that seeing that Adam and Eve were the first two literal human beings from whom every single human being is ultimately descended, I think that's an essential for our theology. Uh, I'm not going to give up on that, and I'm going to argue it pretty firmly, Uh, not because that's my personal opinion, uh, but first of all, because I think the Bible's pretty clear that, that that's exactly what God is teaching from Genesis to Revelation not just in terms of how it's presented in the Old Testament, but also how the New Testament writers, uh, Jesus and the apostles, certainly Paul, saw the first family, the first couple, Adam and Eve. So the Bible says that Adam and Eve were the first two people, and that's good enough for me. Now that said, I think theologically and from certainly from a gospel standpoint, we have to seriously consider what the Scripture says about our relationship to to literal human beings who were the very first human beings that were created by God and made in His image. Of course, uh, Romans 5, we shared this on Sunday morning, uh, Romans 5, 12, that sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Uh, Right there, it's super easy. Romans 5, verse 12, sin came into the world through one man. You know, at the end of the day, there's really only two men that ever have mattered in world history, Adam and Jesus, uh, the first man, as he is called in uh, 1 Corinthians, and the last man, uh, who's Jesus. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, I shared selected verses from that chapter, in Adam, all die. Uh, The first man, again, there it is, the first man was, was from the earth, a man of dust, and we have borne the image of the man of dust. Uh, There is a direct relationship between the fact that we are sinners today in need of a Savior and the fact that we are descended from one man, and his name is Adam. You know, I could go to some of the sermons in the book of Acts where it says that God uh, created the world and and, and basically all the world is descended from one man. There's there's so many different places where we could could point to the fact that uh, it's pretty critical that we see that we are descended from Adam and, and of course, Adam and Eve. Uh, So that's why I say it's an essential. Now, there are some differing uh, perspectives out there, even among evangelical Christians and Bible-believing people, about the age of the earth. Again, as we talked about this a few weeks ago at the beginning of our series, 
I tend to be a young earth kind of guy. I think there's actually some very reasonable arguments for a younger earth in the neighborhood of 10,000 years of age. I mean, from the moment of creation in Genesis 1 verse 1 to the present day, about 10,000 years as we understand them today. However, there's some different ways to read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 in terms of the age of the earth. Perhaps uh, there, 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 is, there is a representation in the, in the days that are mentioned that represent ages. It's called the day-age theory, and there's some other theories as well that I'm not, I mean, I don't personally hold to those, but I'm not going to fault somebody who's, who's, a, who's a solid uh, Bible-believing uh, man or woman who says, you know, I, I see some, some lengthening of the years and the times in, in the first couple chapters. However, if someone was to go with an older earth perspective where I would start to get a little uh, more um, adamant about my argument would be you've still got to make room for the creation of a literal Adam and Eve. So maybe God, you know, through a long period of time, you know, created so much and this, that, and the other across the world, but there's got to be a time when God inserted into that creation a literal first human being and his, and his wife. Uh, so that, that's, that's where I land on that. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so just to clarify, when you mentioned like the day-age theory, you're, you're talking about those who would say that the creation in the six days, each day is not a, a 24-hour period. That's but, correct. But an age of time, kind of unspecified. Is that what you mean? That's correct. Yeah, and uh, that that makes a lot of sense, and I know there's there's a lot of um, you know back and forth on that. I tell you, one of the one of great one of the great resources that um, has helped me with that is a documentary called "Is Genesis History." Mm. Um, that's one that that I uh, you can watch that um, online, or they have a DVD as well, and uh, that's just tremendous. Uh, presents some great scientific evidence, uh, you know, flood geology, things like that. Um, that uh, presents a pretty compelling argument wherever you land on that. So thank yeah, you it, so much. It, and I would basically say, t- when, you, when you're talking about references, Keith, and resources, uh, I, I have found uh, Answers in Genesis, Ken Ham's ministry, to be uh, very helpful. In fact, when I was stationed at the Pentagon, this goes back 10 years now, the church we were attending in Northern Virginia actually hosted an Answers in Genesis conference. It was a three-day conference, and it was very, very inf- informational for me. So, uh, yeah, there are some good resources out there, and again, some very reasonable uh, you know, arguments out there for some different perspectives on the age of the earth. Absolutely. But like you said, regardless of where you land on that question, um, a literal Adam is so important. And so talking about him, you mentioned that Adam lived to be 930 years old. You think he got the senior discount at the Chick-fil-A back then? Yeah, I think he might have had an AARP card. Who knows? That's right. That's right. Um, well, we see in Genesis 5 that it wasn't just Adam, that, and it wasn't uncommon for some people in those days to live 800 or 900 years. So how is that even possible? How could Adam and these other people live so long? Well, again, great question, very practical question, and uh, I guess I would answer that with another question. If Adam and Eve had not sinned, would they have lived forever? I think the obvious answer is yes. Of course they would have lived forever because sin was what brought death. I mean, again, as we defined it and described it yesterday. Uh, interesting to see some of the different arguments out there for why it is that these people lived for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, at least physically in their in their bodies, uh, back in those days prior to the flood, uh, some things such as uh, they were vegetarians. 
you know, I mean, I'm not sure if that's necessarily the, the, the root cause for their living so long. Uh, because, of course, as we know, God did not, uh, you know, really permit people to eat animals until after the flood, right? So they were vegetarians up to that point in time. Some people have pointed to the unique climate or atmosphere. Uh, perhaps it was more oxygen-rich, uh, you know, again, prior to the flood. Uh, some people have pointed to uh, any number of things. There, there's actually some very interesting uh, genetic arguments. I mean, some of the g- genetics experts have looked at this and said, you know, there's some genetic bottlenecks in, in the biblical history here. So, for example, I mean, you think about however many people were on the earth in Genesis chapter 6. By Genesis chapter 9, that was reduced down to eight people and really only six to form the new gene pool because Noah and his wife didn't have any more children after the flood, right? So now you're reduced to six people or three couples that's going to repopulate the earth. And so there's this genetic, what they call bottleneck, that could have affected, I mean, because think about it, even people always say, well, okay, where did Cain get his wife? Where does Cain get his wife? Well, isn't that obvious? He married his sister. But back in those days, I mean, the the gene pool was not impacted like it would be if you married your sister today, right? There's, There's, I mean, it's kind of a fascinating question. I mean, I even saw one argument where Lamech, who was in that line from Adam to Noah, the Bible actually says he only lived about 700 years. So the question is, hmm, yes, I mean, he was a young pup when compared to the guys that were 900 years old. Maybe there was some genetic uh, defect in his, in his life at that point, which is totally possible because sin had already entered the world hundreds of years before. All very interesting questions we don't have the answer to any of it. I'm kind of glad personally that God is allowing us to eat hamburgers these days, you know, versus in fact, I'm going to Texas Roadhouse tonight for my daughter's birthday, and I'm looking forward to having a, a steak rather than just a salad. Uh, but here's the fact. Noah still lived 350 years after the flood. So a lot of these atmospheric and, and circumstantial things that were true before the flood evidently had not totally impacted Noah after the flood. I personally believe the reason why people were able to live so long prior to the flood was, was because the, the, the residual effects of the fall on, on the physical uh, lives of, of the early people had not fully come, come to bear yet on, on humanity. It, just, it took a long time for those things to become the detrimental things that we know today. And of course, as we know, uh, Genesis chapter 6, God said 120 years. Right, so he he set going forward. He he set some limits on on the longevity of a human life. Interesting question. I don't think I have the definitive answer, but ultimately, I believe that uh, as as sin became more of a reality in in the lives of the people. I mean, even in their their physical lives and the impacts of sin on people's physical lives. Uh, that's what limited, but but also at the same time, that's what allowed people to live longer back in those days before the flood. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for that. And, and you, you definitely do see, you know, a gradual um, kind of degenerative pattern that, that happens over time. And, and, you know, I would say that, you know, it could even possibly be a, a multitude of different factors, you know, the environment, uh, because um, as we know, you know, sin doesn't just affect the people. Uh, there, there's a curse on the earth as well. Um, so I, I, in my opinion, I think it could be a lot of different things, but some definitely uh, great perspective there. Thank you so much for that. 
Um, and as we talk about Adam and Eve, uh, we know that we're all sinners because of their sin. Um, but we've also heard people talk about um, this thing called total depravity. Um, what exactly is that? And is, is this like a special category of sin or something like that? So yeah, total depravity. I mean, yes, we, we've heard that that phraseology used for many years, and a lot of times when we hear it, we say, "Yeah, that's right, man. We are we are sinners. We are definitely all have sinned and fall short of the glory. We are we are sinners." But but depending on who's using that terminology will determine what it really means, you know, based on a theological background and so forth. I mean, we definitely know that we are ate up with sin. I mean, there's no getting around that. Again, we go back to Genesis 6, where it says the whole world was just continually filled with thoughts of evil. Uh, in fact, that was one of the reasons why, the main reason why God sent the flood in, in the first place. Uh, but going forward in the, New, in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Isaiah 64, many of us have heard this verse in, from Isaiah 64, where it says, our righteousness is like filthy rags uh, before the Lord. The New Testament, Romans 1 through 3, the universality of sin, both among Jews and Gentiles, everybody's a sinner. 2 Corinthians 4, we are blinded by sin to the gospel. Ephesians 2, because of our sin, we're dead in our sins and trespasses. We're enemies of God. All of that. But what, what, are, the, what are the implications? What's the so what of the fact that we are absolutely, totally ate up with sin? Well, again, different theological traditions treat that in different ways. In the early days of the church, there was, there was a heretic named Pelagius, and, and he was truly a heretic. And one of his uh, beliefs was that, that we as human beings, even though sin is in the world, we still have the capacity in and of ourselves to respond to the gospel and, and, and to choose to follow. We, we have this, this autonomous freedom to choose and receive Jesus. But that's and it's pretty much that that that's because we have an innate ability and power of our own to make that choice. Uh, he was excommunicated. They pretty much canceled him. That was cancel culture long before we understood cancel culture. Uh, but even among differing um, theological traditions today, for example, you know, probably the, the biggest dichotomy that's out there when it comes to salvation. And, 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 and this type of thing would be your, your Reformed theology versus, say, your, your Wesleyan or Arminian theology, right? Again, I personally, and I'm, I don't want to steal my own thunder because in a few weeks we're going to talk about those categories when it comes to salvation. I personally think they're false dichotomies. Uh, there, there are some truths and tension in the Scripture, and I'm not sure that any one theological school has it all figured out. That said... Uh, to talk about total depravity from, say, a reform perspective would mean that we don't we don't even have we don't we don't even have the capacity within us whatsoever to even respond to the gospel. We we are so ate up with sin, we don't even have the the, the ability or the capacity to respond by faith. Even faith really is is I mean God gives us the faith, so it's not even our faith in a sense. And again. D different Reformed theologians might disagree with even how I'm characterizing that. But nevertheless, the point being is that we have to be regenerated as, as being dead in our sins and trespasses. This is from a Reformed perspective. We have to be regenerated by God and the Holy Spirit before we can even trust Jesus and put any faith in Jesus whatsoever. 
That's why, and again, we'll talk about this in a few weeks, when you talk about the order of salvation, one of the big questions is, does regeneration come first or does faith come first, right? Are we regenerated because we have put our faith in Jesus and received Jesus, or do we put our faith in Jesus because we have been regenerated? And then by that point in time, if you've been regenerated, then you put your faith in Jesus, then putting your faith in Jesus is like an automatic response, okay? Um, the, the Wesleyan or Arminian school of thought, that this is, would be, you know, backgrounds for the Methodist Church and others, oftentimes they talk about something called prevenient grace, uh, and, and that's uh, sometimes it's called enabling grace. And this is a grace that God gives to people that allows them to receive Jesus volitionally, meaning like this is a conscious decision I'm making, but I can't make that decision unless I receive this enabling grace from the Lord. Uh, for a lot of our listeners, that may sound like we're just splitting theological hairs, uh, but it is a good question, right, in terms of how can we respond to the, to the gospel message that Jesus Christ came that we might be saved. Because we say at Crossgate all the time, salvation is available, but it's not automatic. Okay, well then what do we do, right, to, in order to receive Jesus? And, and how does our sinfulness affect that? That's, so when we talk about total depravity, uh, that's kind of what we're talking about. We're not just talking about the fact that we're ate up with sin, but to, again, depending on who talks about total depravity, they may be very well telling you that you don't even have the capacity to receive Jesus in the first place by any means whatsoever, and so therefore you have to be regenerated, and then you can receive Jesus. Yeah, definitely um, a lot to unpack there, and uh, I'm excited about the topic of salvation coming up soon. I'm sure we're going to have some great conversation about that, but thank you so much for giving us a preview and without stealing your own thunder, uh, as you say. So that does beg the question, though, um, and you mentioned this in the message on Sunday, if everyone is a sinner both by birth and by choice, and you said God always judges sin apart from forgiveness in Jesus, what about the guy on the island? You know, the, the guy who is born, lives, and he dies without ever hearing the name of Jesus or the gospel message. Uh, what happens to him when he dies? Great question, because this one always comes up whenever you start talking about Jesus being the only way to heaven, right? Which, I mean, I, I'm fine to talk about that because that's what the Bible teaches but depending on who you're talking to or where you're talking about this, you're going to quickly get the question about the, the uh, indigenous person on the island in the South Pacific or wherever who, who was born, they lived and they died, and they never heard the gospel. Is it, is it fair to say that God is going to judge them just like he judges everybody else, right, in Hot Springs, Arkansas, who's you know probably heard the gospel a hundred times? So a couple things to think about. First of all, Again, the question is, because when it comes to this, we can, we can very easily talk ourselves into believing almost any, anything, right? So the question should be answered with the question that we always ask at Crossgate, what does the Bible say? So I actually found something, this is, um, heck, this is probably 20 plus years ago now. I was taking a course in the uh, Book of Romans at uh, Duke Divinity School in Durham, North Carolina. Go Duke! Uh, I, I know you're not going to say much about that, Pastor Keith, but that's okay. We're, we're still working on you. Um, but that said, I was not going there for a ministerial degree. I was there for an academic degree called a Master of Theology. So I just it, it definitely not a conservative, uh, what I would consider to be Bible teaching 
divinity school, okay? But I was in this, in this class covering the book of Romans, and I was also pastoring a, a small Baptist church at the time. And the professor, after a particular uh, class through Romans 5, said, does anyone have any, uh, any insights into this, you know, just from a church or pastoral uh, perspective? And I said, yeah, actually, I do. I said, uh, Romans uh, 5, verse 14 actually helps me to better understand about the guy on the island. Now, as a side note, I will tell you, I was shocked when not a single person in the room even knew what I was talking about. You know, because if, if you're around a group of, of evangelical Christians and you say something about the guy on the island, generally speaking, everyone's going to know exactly what you're talking about. Nobody in that room, there was one guy finally who said, yeah, doesn't it have something to do with, and he actually kind of knew what, what I was talking about, but I was very disheartened that I was the only person in the room that actually understood the guy on the island theme. Okay, so that said, this actually is linked very much with what we said earlier from Romans 5, verse 12. In fact, I'm going to begin reading in Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Okay, But sin is not counted where there is no law. Okay, now that, verse 13, sin is not counted where there is no law. Keep in mind the timeline. Adam, and then you have a lot of time that elapses, and then you have Moses come on the scene. And when he says the law was given or there was no law, he's talking about when Moses delivered the law, the Ten Commandments, and the entire bit of the Old Testament law to God's people. Now think about what he's saying. Adam received a very specific command from God. Don't eat. Don't touch. So forth and so on. Very specific command, even though it wasn't written out, it was like the law, in a sense, because it was a verbal command from God. And then all of these years passed by, and they didn't have that kind of, that kind of verbal, clear, or even written command as they did when, when Moses came along. When Moses came along, now you have this, this law. So here's the question. For all the people that live from Adam to Moses who didn't receive this, what we would call, special revelation, remember in the first message we talked about the difference between special and general revelation. Special is something where God specifically reveals something to you, either through command or through a written, as we have in the Bible. General revelation is what we can know about God from the creation and so forth. Okay, So if we had verse 13, that might give us an indication that the guy on the island is not going to be judged because the guy on the island doesn't even know about Jesus, let alone has received some specific command directly from God, as Adam did or as the people of God did through Moses. The end of verse 13, again, but sin is not counted where there is no law. But wait a minute, verse 14, it says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Okay, so Adam transgressed in what way? He disobeyed a direct verbal command from God. Fast forward to the days of Moses. The people disobeyed the, the written command from God. So all of the sinning that took place between Adam and Moses was not a sin against a direct, clear command from God, but, verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. So what does that say? First of all, these people were still dying. They were still sinners. It says right here, they were sinning. They were sinning against God. Now you think about Romans chapter 1, where it says that nobody has an excuse. 
because they are, they are receiving a revelation from God, maybe not on the same level as we do today, having had the Bible and all the rest, but they were nevertheless receiving a revelation of God. They were sinning against God, and because they were sinning against God, they had no excuse. Okay, now I want you to think about this, because this, in many ways, what I'm about to say runs contrary to what we believe generally as Americans, right? We believe that hell is hell. Well, a lot of Americans don't believe about hell at all anymore, but for those that do, we believe that hell is hell and heaven is heaven. But when you look at the Bible, it actually says, and in many cases implies, that there's going to be different levels of experience in heaven, and there's going to be different levels of experience in hell. Now, I think Dante, with his inferno, probably unpacked it far beyond what we can say from a biblical perspective. But listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 11 when he's talking about the town of Capernaum, right? Jesus, Jesus came to Capernaum. He was rubbing shoulders with the people and all the rest. And Jesus is basically saying here that we will be judged based on the light that we have received. And this is the famous statement where Jesus says, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for Capernaum because the works that the people saw in Capernaum, the, the people in Sodom didn't have that, right? In other words, I would tell you this. I'd be willing to put it in contemporary terms. It will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the people of Sodom, which was absolutely totally destroyed, nuclear option, than it will be for the people of Garland County who have heard the gospel over and over and over and over again and have still rejected Jesus. Now, what does that say about the guy on the island? He's certainly responsible for his sin. There's no way around that. Now, will it be more tolerable for the guy on the island than for the people of Capernaum or Garland County on the Day of Judgment? Yes. But nevertheless, the Bible does say, Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man to include the man on the island once to die, and after this comes the judgment. So verse 14 of Romans chapter 5 really helped me to better understand the whole guy on the island concept, and that's why I answered the way I did in that classroom 20-plus years ago at, uh, at Duke Divinity School. So I hope that provides some clarity. I think, I think it does answer the question of what happens to people who have not received a, a clear command from God, meaning special revelation, but nevertheless, they're sinning, in, even though they didn't sin in the, in the, uh, the, like the transgression of Adam, nevertheless are held accountable by God. Yeah, and you know, that just, um, it really puts into perspective for those of us who have received the truth, who have received the gospel, um, how vital it is for us to be intentional in taking that gospel message um, to our, our neighbors and the nations, uh, to, to everyone around the world, um, to these people that, like you said, were made in the image of God. Yeah, and I would, I would point out, you mentioned that, Keith, that, that knowing what we know about this, that should give us a greater impetus and, and be a catalyst for a more urgent engagement with the gospel on, on our part. You know, Adrian Rogers used to say, people often ask, are people lost if they don't hear? right? Like the guy on the island. Are people lost if they don't hear? He said, I've got a better question for you. Are we saved if we don't tell, right? In fact, I saw a quote. I screenshotted this. This is, I'm just shooting from the hip now. I, I'm opening my phone. I got to look at this. Uh, I saw this quote just the other day. Ray Comfort said, if you are not concerned about your neighbor's salvation, then I'm concerned about yours. 
right? So yes, we can talk all day about the guy on the island, but what are we doing to be a part of the solution? And not just for the dude in Timbuktu, but for the guy who lives across the street from us. Yeah, that's so good. And I, I love that uh, as we wrap up, because we're out of time, but I love that we have so many opportunities here at Crossgate uh, to do just that. Uh, one of those I think about is Life Plus, which is uh, one of our emphasis right now that's just saying, hey, uh, in your everyday life, when you're doing things that you enjoy doing, um, intentionally invite somebody to join you in those things uh, who are not connected with the church or may not be saved, may not know the Lord. So uh, we are out of time for today, but Phil, thank you so much uh, for joining us. It's been a great conversation and uh, looking forward uh, to next week. Awesome. Looking forward to it as well. This, In fact, this message we're going to do this Sunday, I am looking forward to this one as much as any message I've done in quite a while as we talk about the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. I can't wait. Have a great one. Take care. Thank you for listening to the More and Better Disciples podcast, a ministry of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. To learn more, join us on our website, crossgate.org.